Hi, you're listening to the Arkansas Times podcast for Friday, February 1st. I'm Benji Hardy, sitting in for Lindsay Miller, who is out sick today, and I'm here with Max Branley. Afternoon. So uh, we'll be discussing today the governor's plan for an income tax cut, which received a major revision earlier this week. Uh, talk about the state Supreme Court ruling that put an end to Fayetteville civil rights ordinance protecting LGBT people, at least for the time being, and some ongoing unhappiness at uh, UA Little Rock over East M, the charter high school. Um, and we might also talk about juvenile justice reform legislation and maybe more. We'll see. So, um, Max, what happened with uh, what's going on with the income tax? Well, you know, the, the governor had a big income tax plan that was going to eventually cut $200, $200 million a year in state revenue by changing the tax tables and, and dropping the top marginal rate from 69 to 5.9%. He discovered, and, you know, and nobody has really given enough attention to how badly they botched this in the first place. They missed the fact that it was going to raise taxes on 200,000 people in the middle income level to reach the goal they wanted to reach, and they decided that was politically unpalatable. So they unveiled their new plan this week. And from my point of view, it's even more politically unpalatable, but I'm not a Republican, and so <laughs> so perhaps I have a different view. But here's the deal. They, just, they, they did away with a plan to dramatically increase the standard deduction for all taxpayers. They did away with the plan to simplify the tax tables. There's some small change in the tax tables for higher income people. But the, the main thing, really, the, the entirety of the tax cut plan really is to do away with a 6.9% rate on the top marginal income and lower it to 59 in two years. Uh, <clears throat> this will mean ultimately, he said, a, a, a loss in state revenue of about $97 million. Well, Arkansas Advocates for uh, Children and Families, which does a lot of analysis of legislative issues, brought in... Uh, a tax foundation, a, a, an independent group that studies these numbers, uh-huh. and they found some fascinating stuff. And, and I think really the big news is not so much the giveaway to the wealthy because that was always the plan, but in fact the the state apparently based its its figures on what this would cost on 2016 income. Well, it's three years later when it'll take effect. The income will be higher, and, and rich people's income is growing faster than poor people's income. Sure. So the loss is going to be greater. They think that this plan, if it's approved, will cost the state $157 million in, in lost revenue, half again as much, which is in a second we can talk about, is raises a lot of other related questions. Right. But But in terms of the tax cut itself, stunning jaw-dropping figure 70 percent of the tax break would go to the top one percent that is people making more than four hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year 90 percent more than 90 percent of the tax break will go to the top five percent people making more than four hundred and five thousand dollars a year what little bit is left is going to go to people making more than eighty thousand dollars a year but it's really an insignificant amount and even for them, it's only they may realize $100. Now, there is a little tiny, tiny piece that goes to people making between fifty dollars and $80,000 a year. For example, if you make $50,000 a year, you get $0.40 cents a week in tax cut. So, <laughs> so, well. so as I, I mean, it, it's just it's stunning, and it's, and it's a giveaway far out of proportion with the amount of taxes the very rich pay. They already enjoy a relatively decent treatment. They don't think so, but a quarter of the millionaires file by standard deduction. 
these are people that don't have big businesses that they're working a lot of different tax angles on. Uh-huh. They're probably heirs of big money, and they're just clipping coupons. I mean, th- this is a tax plan that that favors wealth over work. It's it's simple, it seems to me. But the governor is convinced that there's some magic in having a top lower marginal rate than our surround than the surrounding states. I, he's offered no evidence that that's so. I don't think you can provide any statistical proof that people are going to move here because we cut the top marginal ta- income tax rate by 1%. Now, I'm, I'm sure the governor would say that he's, well, we gave these other tax cuts to lower income, medium income people he, previous they, years. They, right? gave, they gave tax cuts in, in some that I don't think are as great in total as this tax cut. And it was it was trivial amounts. It yeah, was, you know, I, I remember. I don't remember the numbers, but I remember uh, Arkansas Advocates did an analysis on the lower end of the, you know, the the, the for low income taxpayers. You know, because you're spreading that fifty million across such a large number of people. All right, I mean, that, that, 90 percent of the taxpayers shared an amount in the last tax cut that's less than he wants to give to millionaires alone. Right. I mean, they got. And, and and some people experienced a tax increase. Now, they say it was offset by an increased deduction, but there used to be no tax at all from 0 to 2%, and now there's some small marginal amount. I mean, that's uh, <laughs> the benefit. It would have been far better had they approved an earned income tax credit, which would have been a meaningful help to people who are on the working poor end of the scale. And it also would have gone right back into the economy of people spending the money on food, groceries, housing, and the necessities of life, which is where poor people spend their money. You give a tax cut to a rich person, there's no guarantee that money stays in Arkansas. It's going to go where he can earn the most money on it. There's no, he's already, he's not going to make him spend more than he's already, or she's already spending. They'll invest the money where they get the best return. And whether that helps the state or not, we just don't know. And then there's these these other corporate income tax cuts that are that are being considered. They're being talked. They're and they're talking in the hundreds of millions range. I believe it. It would it would be in the or the the tax reform task force that Jim Hendren chaired was saying. I think it's around two hundred two hundred million dollars eight years. I, right, and we don't know what form that will take yet. But but that's that's so we're talking. Three hundred million just this year in tax cuts over a two-year time. If that comes to pass, on top of the end of the grocery tax, which was I don't know seventy, eighty million, something like that, and the previous tax cuts, which cumulatively amounted to something, and so then let's forget about the revenue in and talk about the expense in. We don't have a highway plan yet. Uh, I happen to be among the outliers and aren't ready to say that we need to necessarily build more highways. But if, but if we do need more money for maintenance, it's got to come from somewhere. They got to raise the money somehow. Uh, we are we are falling short of meeting the standards for educational sufficiency every year. We're given a little bit less than what the experts say we should be spending to meet inflationary costs on schools. We have any number of other great needs. I, I know you've been writing about juvenile justice reform, and we're gonna we're gonna transform it. We're gonna imprison fewer people and give more people community based services. But guess what? That costs money. And 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 residential facilities we're now outsourcing to people at a much higher rate than when the state operated. Right? Is that correct? Well, yeah. That's uh, since you mentioned it, I'll, I'll I'll talk just a little bit about that. Um, so, I mean, several different moving parts on this juvenile justice front. There's, um, so the state has now put out an RFP that, well, actually I think it may have closed today, but they're looking to pr- reprivatize 
the the juvenile treatment centers, which are you know effectively youth jails for kids that are committed to the, the Division of Youth Services. Um, so these were previously ran by private contractors and were taken over by the state after a big political um, brouhaha in 2016. Uh, now the state's looking to, to put them back into the hands of a private provider, probably not the same providers, um, but they're going to be paying a significantly higher daily bed rate, um, which means that, that they'll be paying more per, per kid who is locked up. Now, at the same time, um, there's some legislation that's moving in the state Senate that looks to um, make some changes to, to the code. One thing that it would do is would, it would prevent juvenile judges from locking up, uh, from committing kids to the Division of Youth Services if they committed a misdemeanor and are considered to be low risk. Well, the, the, that low risk thing is dependent on an assessment that, that judges would be required to do. And this is a program that, that some counties are already doing, but lots of counties in the state don't do this. Don't, you know, the judges really have no um, uh, system, like standardized system for determining the, the, the risk uh, posed by a... Oh, and I, re- a I really fear assessments being objective. I mean, I fear... I mean, I'm sorry to the people on the bench who I might be sliding here, but I, I mm-hmm. fear that people who can afford lawyers and people who have the right skin color might get better ratings on the fear factor scale than others. Well, you know, in theory, this is supposed to prevent that. I mean, in theory, like this is, are, is that you know, that already happens. And so at least, yeah, at least right. now it has to be, there has to be some documentation <laughs> about how judges are arriving at their decisions. Cause you see these tremendous disparities in, from one judicial district to another, like yeah. down in in the thirteenth district in like uh, Union County, you have kids being committed at a rate that is I mean, ten times higher than in, in some counties in Northwest Arkansas, and and so this is supposedly it's you know is is an accountability measure. There, there, well, there are some forces that were. I, I, I give credit to the fact that there does truly seem to be some bipartisan support to shift away from punishment to rehabilitation right i don't think it's solely the knee-jerk liberal democrats it's coming from both sides but there's still the prosecutors out there who most of them if they can want to lock people up there's fear of teenagers in the land that and and teenagers can be an unruly (laughs) unruly bunch they can be frightening they can be frightening and so i you know and 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 then again back to money i mean counselors cost money community Services cost money. I mean, all of this, all of this stuff is. Even if our hearts are pure, if we don't provide the services, it's going to fail. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the money is, I think, a big part of what's driven this, and it's the same reason as as why a lot of conservatives, barring Tom Cotton and a few other hardliners, are are into to criminal justice reform at the federal level. It's oh, right. saves well, money I mean, to lock up. Community bases should be cheaper than prisons. I mean, prisons right. are ex- terribly expensive, but if you don't do it right. If you end up crime is worse, then people can say, "Well, see, we told you. We yeah, should just lock so, these guys so, up." So the community-based providers uh, out there in the state are concerned that 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 higher rate in the RFP will just mean that there's there's not a lot of new money going towards community-based programs, and um, we'll see on that. You know, yeah. um, the, the, the state has, is closing down a couple of these facilities. They just closed one in Colt um, over the weekend, and there's another one in Dermont that's supposed to close over the summer. 
So, um, you know, it does appear that they are taking some steps towards reducing that reliance on incarceration. And, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the big push for this has actually come from Republicans in the state Senate. Senator Missy Irvin is the one that's sponsoring right, the right. bill. They, and the they, governor's been behind it. So No, they, they seem to be saying the right things. Right. But, um, yeah, we'll see. Okay. Um, so tell us about what's happened. what happened with the Supreme Court this week with the uh, non-discrimination. Well, cases. it really wasn't a surprise if you listened to the oral arguments in the matter that was before them and got decided this week. But what the Supreme Court said is we meant it earlier when we dismissed this case because we held that the state law that preempts local civil rights ordinances was a constitutional act by the legislature and you can't challenge it. And... Uh, they raise, an intervener raised and the local judge allowed the case to continue on a new issue, which is that this law by nature is federally unconstitutional because it's meant to discriminate against gay people, LGBTQIA people, but right. gay people for simplicity's sake. And, and the, what the Supreme Court said was is he shouldn't have kept the case open. They dismissed the case. It was dead. And and then they also answered some questions about whether you can question legislators on things beyond what they said on the floor of the legislature. They said yes to some uncertain degree and that there is some executive privilege in Arkansas to talk about things in private. But here's where we are now. The, the, the Fayetteville ordinance is effectively dead, and this ordinance was passed by referendum on its second try to extend civil rights protections to a number of classes of people, but it was designed to provide protection to LGBT people that didn't exist in state law. The legislature, which is homophobic in my view, uh, wouldn't stand for it and said we're going to make it illegal to pass local ordinances that might protect gay people because we don't want to protect them. Uh, and, and if I recall right, this was this is what back in 2014, 2015 that this began to, to bubble. Right, and, it's yeah. And and, and this was, um, I mean, for for people that may not know all the details of this of this, uh, everybody probably remembers the all the fuss around HB 1228. Was it the 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 like legalized discrimination, yeah, right, right, RIFRA, right. Uh, religious freedom, right? Bill. And they ended up passing another bill that that protects discrimination against gay people if you claim a religious reason for it, right? But but in all of that, this, this other piece of legislation got a little bit overshadowed, and and right, it it really has some pernicious effects. Oh when it comes well, to well, it. it does, and it was and it was in the effort to repeal the Fayetteville ordinance and the lawsuit that was filed to enjoin the Fayetteville Ordinance, which is what got decided this week, came from religious conservatives that simply think homosexuality and transgenderism is immoral, weird, crazy, wrong, whatever name you want to apply to it, and they don't want to give any protection in employment, housing, or public services to people in those categories. And and so here's where we are. Fayetteville, and I noticed Kit Williams, the city attorney in Fayetteville, was kind of sort of avoided the question about whether they will still try to enforce the Fayetteville ordinance. I mean, although it's it's been enjoined, but that would be potentially, I guess, one way to test it is to enforce it against somebody, and then they would say, no, this thing has been ruined. They would say, no, but we enforce it because it's unconstitutional federally. Or somebody could file a new lawsuit. The ACLU is reviewing it. They haven't made a decision yet. Uh, 
but you need somebody withstanding uh, somehow. I mean, one one problem you have is is what do you do now? E- even if Fayetteville were to flout the state Supreme Court by saying, no, we're going to protect these people's rights because the federal constitution says we should. Mm-hmm. Or you need somebody who's been discriminated against, who makes a complaint they've been discriminated against to the city, and the city says we can't do it because we've been enjoined, and then they sue. I mean, getting this before a federal court or a state court is going to be a hard thing to do. Have there been any complaints made to the city so far? No, the commission that was established there has not yet had to field a complaint. And Kit Williams, the city attorney, said, well, you know, we think that we serve notice to a lot of people in this. I mean, I don't think Fayetteville is the sort of place that, you know, I would think it would be more welcoming than some as, yeah. a, as a university town. But also, remember, I, it, although their ordinance did have some application in private circumstances, and that was that was one big difference about it, you know, is is it wasn't a government action. Like, say, a landlord issue. who might Yeah, wouldn't to rent, rent to somebody right. on yeah. account of, of somebody's sexual orientation. So I mean we're I mean it's it was I mean the, the Supreme Court clearly was going that way and 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 from early on signaled and they're a conservative court and I mean I, I think the sad truth is is that the only hope for equal rights for people of a sexual minority in Arkansas is legislation and I think the hopes of that are <laughs> slim and none. <laughs> you know, so it's no. kind of, it's. I mean, I think the word. You know, it's funny. I had a we. I had a lunch with some people yesterday. We were talking about these issues, sort of in general. And I don't think you can deny that there's been progress in terms of. I mean, we do have legal same-sex marriage now, and I think more people are coming out about uh, sexual identities than in the past. I think it's easier certainly in Little Rock than it is in a small rural town somewhere in South mm-hmm. Arkansas. And so there's improvement, but but the fact is is state law explicitly protects discrimination against sexual minorities. Mm-hmm. And the state Supreme Court has explicitly said local governments can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And and by their statements, you know, we see reflected we had a member of the UA University of Arkansas Trustees Board of Trustees yesterday speak up really in an ugly fashion against a, a little proposal to have a diversity research unit at the University of Arkansas Fayetteville. And if this argument would be, you know, oh, this is just more university bureaucracy, another fat job for somebody that'll make work and not do much, that would have been one thing, but it was really the whole notion of diversity and that that university might be inculcating values, she said, in young people up there where that was the parents' business to put values in their kids in the university. I mean, it really sent, I mean, what was she talking about? Was she talking about black people? Was she talking about queer people? What kind of people was the, one of the 10 trustees of our giant university system talk about when she said she didn't like to hear any talk about diversity? I mean, is she against it? I, I, you know, it's yeah. just, they're just, these sorts of depressing things keep happening. And, and I think you have to acknowledge that there's a bad atmosphere in this state on those issues and it's the polls show we're improving but that's one of the areas the university of the arkansas poll shows that while we are more moderate on a lot of issues than the conservatives think we are from abortion to gun control and and while we finally edged over to a majority who can accept same-sex marriage now that sexual issues remain a very tough issue here we here meaning Arkansas. We meaning the state of Arkansas. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
Them. <laughs> so, <laughs> us? <laughs> Them. So, um, let's see. Let's move on to, to an interesting piece of news that was reported on in the Democrat Gazette over the week about uh, ESTEM on uh, the UA Little Rock campus. Right. Uh, you know, this arose. Uh, we have written about this in the past that ESTEM opened a high school at UALR with lots of Walton money under an agreement entered by Joel Anderson, the prior chancellor, without much discussion among the faculty before he did. Yeah, it was sort of Andrew, Anderson was kind of on his way out the door. And he was on his way out, and, and he let him come in. And, and it, it it has created a lot of – I mean, anybody who's listening to me know I'm not a charter school fan and so on and so forth, but I, I don't think you have to have a dog in that hunt to not understand the reality of the problems that have been caused at UALR by this school. You've got 500 high school kids running around on campus all day doing what high school kids do, talking, laughing, making noise, being high school kids. Nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. It's at a campus, though, that its campus day isn't confined to those same school hours. They go from an extended day from early in the morning to late at night. And there are a lot of non-traditional students, that is older students, who are going back and finishing college educations or getting additional education. And it just makes for a different sort of atmosphere for them to have a high school in the middle of that. Then you have a campus that doesn't have enough parking, has some traffic problems, it doesn't have sufficient dining facilities, and that's been a real pressure point as the kids flood into the student union and hang out, and it's hard for other people to eat. That's been a problem. They use the library, too. They're expanding into classroom space. The faculty's unhappy about it. And now the chancellor is is speaking openly, partly because students have begun circulating a petition that wants something done about this. There was a report in October by a consultant that set out in very clear and and really non- argumentative terms the history of how this happened the problems that have developed as a result and some of the possible solutions one of them was is saying how about have only a senior class on campus not the entire high school and so far east Tim has kind of said we're growing and we expect to continue to grow and that's that's just the way it is bub <laughs> of course they got the waltons behind them and that's a lot more power than than chancellor rogerson of the ALR. i mean just just to be realistic about it uh, you know, the the problem has been, there have been some real problems, though, that promises were made that just didn't bear out. Once the kids go to East Ham, it doesn't mean they're then going to re- enroll in UALR. Right. I think there were some numbers in, in the reporting um, in the paper that were... Very, very small. <laughs> I mean, it showed that, that I think it peaked in two years ago, yeah, in the past couple of years. Well, I mean, the kids have been there. They want to go someplace different. Right. I mean, the, the novelty is, is important. The other thing that's been a problem is I said, oh, this will be great. Your education majors at ULR can go practice teach at East Ham. Well, that turns out that's a problem because under the law, you can't get credit for practice teaching unless you do it under the supervision of a licensed teacher. Some of these ESTEM teachers are licensed. Some aren't licensed because they're a charter school. They don't have to follow the rules everybody else follows. And so there have been some hiccups on that. And it's, uh, you know, there's a problem in UALR's enrollments falling. There's a new funding formula that's already pinched them financially. There's a problem. And I I think the only way the problem's going to be solved is that the Waltons put some money up or put some help for UALR, and they haven't shown any willingness to do that. They spend their money on charter schools and Little Rock, and everybody else can just take a flying leap. 
Well, I mean, does does the university have any kind of leverage in this situation? Uh, they're in like a 30-year agreement. I, I, you know, I, I guess they can ask to renegotiate some terms. For example, they said, well, maybe we can put an alternate dining facility in the Strip Shopping Center they bought kind of on the south side of the main campus. Mm-hmm. But it costs a bunch of money. They don't have money to do it. I mean, maybe if, you know, some of the Waltons dug out their coin purse you know they could they could do a little something for it but so far they don't seem to be willing to stand up to do that it's it's really it's it's just a shame what's been done to little rock by their money Mm -hmm. both at ular and little rock school district but but that's just me doing doing my usual (laughs) all right well uh you got any endorsements well, I was going to ask you. This is this is really weird. H- have you ever read Marcel Proust's Remembrance of Things Past? <laughs> I think I've read the first couple of lines. Well, I'm not going to recommend yeah, anybody I've... read that book. <laughs> but what I what I but, but what always fascinates me is you know anybody who's familiar with it knows kind of there's this the Madeline moment I, where about what I where, know where he eats Proust, a cookie yeah. crumbled up in the tea and it it brings out this flood of memories. Well. This is all on my mind because for the first time, I think in 40 years, I just bought a bag of Doritos. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I'm not going to recommend Doritos to anybody, but it it was like it was like my Madeline moment. I was back on a on a a big raft we built in high school to float out on Lake Charles in. Doritos wow. were new that summer and we bought bag after bag of Doritos to eat with our beer out on this raft out in Lake Charles while we we're getting sunburned. I mean it was I knew exactly what Marcel Proust was talking about. It was like I was back on Lake Charles on that raft again. Wow. I have that moment, too, with a certain kind of chili dog with just the right amount of chili and mustard. Then I'm back in Lake Charles High Stadium eating a hot dog from the Band Boosters concession stand. Well, yeah. Anyway, so that's that, that's kind of my backdoor recommend. <laughs> it's think about your your Madeline moments. It's kind of – I have many of them, but that I, may listen, be my I, weirdness. I will openly and explicitly endorse Doritos. I have no shame in that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So you don't have any food moments, any Madeline moments, anything that you oh, take def- a bite well, uh, of it? That yeah, definitely. You know, I think there's that there's the, this there's research showing that this that memory is tied to this. You know, smells and tastes Old are factories, so yeah. you're capable of tapping into these weird um, channels in your mind. But sometimes it's just kind of it's just remarkable how striking it is. But anyway, that's my weirdness for the day. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to recommend. Um, I guess speaking of things past, and um, I, I have I don't know if you have listened to this, but uh, I've been listening to this, this Slate podcast about uh, the Clinton impeachment. Uh, I have not. My wife just yesterday said how good it was. She's oh, been really? listening called, to it. Called Slow Burn. Yeah. Eight episodes. I'm I'm I just finished episode seven, and it is yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, and I was so <laughs> I was in my uh, elementary school years when most of those events are going right. down. So all of the names are so familiar to me, but the actual way the, the events like slotted together, I realized like I just knew so little about. And she, she said it was, I mean, and she, my wife is like me, has a lot of fixed notions about some of these things and from political points of view, but she, she was talking about one of the episodes about one of the, the women who made accusations about Clinton and learning from it things she'd never heard before and presented in a way that she said, you know, I mean, it's interesting. It's yeah. uh, it's food for thought. It's a different way of looking at things. There, there's there's a I mean, most of one episode is devoted to Linda Tripp, who he who he manages to get yeah. an interview with and 
get her sort of her 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 sentiments uh yeah <laughs> about everything that unfolded and there's just some great scene setting about like the moment whenever uh Monica Lewinsky was first confronted by uh, by these guys from the, the special counsel's office. Oh, it's a Ritz Carlton or wherever. This is this is in like a, in a Washington City mall or something. There's a mall connected to. Yeah, they took know. her up to the hotel or something after um, that. Yeah, yeah. And it, anyway, <laughs> I know this is I think season two. There was this first season, and the original impetus for the podcast was about Watergate, which I have not yet heard. But um, I recommend. Um, Season two, at least, uh, definitely check I, it out. The one thing I told my wife last night, and it sounds like it is good. And I'm gonna probably, but it's, I don't know if I want to relive all. Well, that I, I don't blame you. <laughs> <laughs> Again, for me, this is this is all uh, surprisingly new, a little embarrassingly. How, how well, right? I mean, yeah, and I can see know. that. I, you I, kind I, of absorb these things through osmosis, but um, but like all the way that this this cast of characters actually. Uh, Did they ask Lena Tripp about John Goodman portraying her on Saturday Night Live? I don't think that Live? came up. No. <laughs> that may be that's in one a, of the that's bonus a, that's tracks. A, that's a, a, a moment that burned into my brain. <laughs> all right. Well, I guess we'll leave it at that. Um, um, you know, I don't. I don't. I forget all the the end of show things oh, but, that Lindsay always does. Well, pick up the listen uh, on our podcast. You know, you can subscribe on the various podcasts. Deals. Right, iTunes, uh, SoundCloud. Wherever. Yeah, and do that. And and if you haven't seen our new monthly edition of the Arkansas Times, it's available free at newsstands all over at the usual places. We've gone from weekly to monthly. And and, and I say this not with self-interest because I really had nothing to do with it. It's fabulous. It's knocked out. It's mm. just full of good stuff, handsome-looking, full of good writing, including by Benji, and it's just great stuff. I think it looks good, yeah. Um, out on the stands now. So, um, Big old fat one. thing. That's right. 116 pages, I believe. Some serious, yeah. some not serious. Yeah. You know, it's kind of covers the waterfront. Yeah. Check it out. All right. See you next week. Yeah.